Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, and thank you for listening to the Captain's Collective Podcast. Brought to you by Skinny Water Culture, Hell's Bay Boatworks, Turtle Box Audio, and Orvis Fly Fishing. Usually when I interview captains, I'm on the road and get a chance to see some of the waters that they call home. But with today's guest, we flip the script. Jonathan Moss is a full-time guide in Orlando and Mosquito Lagoon, who also runs the television show, The Captain's Log. Recently, Jonathan and his crew ventured over to an area near my home waters of Florida's Panhandle in order to fish with a good friend of mine, Captain Jay Carson of Perry, Florida. I was excited to run a camera boat for Jonathan as he got a chance to experience some of what makes this part of Florida so special. Before we got out on the water, Jonathan and I grabbed some lunch at Old Mexico, a popular restaurant for locals and a risky decision for a pre-boat meal. During lunch, I got a chance to learn more about how he went from being an elementary school PE teacher to a busy guide with a successful show, who recently won Waypoint's TV series, Showdown. We sat down at a nearby park to record his podcast, and I'm excited for you to get a chance to hear Jonathan's story and perspective on life. In this episode, Jonathan shares some great tips on fishing with children, developing anglers, and what to do when you're waiting on a door to open in life. We hope that you enjoy our time together. Make sure to check out Jonathan's show at Waypoint TV. Thank you for listening. This is the Captain's Collective. I'll say it's anything you choose, I think it picks you. You know, it's genetic. Let everything else stop in the world and just be quiet. And then it's amazing where your mind goes at that point um, and where it doesn't go. And sometimes just that quiet space is, is what we need, and especially in this day and age. You have a fly rod in your hand. It's this tool that takes you to beautiful places. You meet hopefully wonderful people. And it's just this cherry on top of this outdoor adventure. When the fish is coming, that shot within a shot, that timer starts. Beep, 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 beep. No one else knew anything anyway, and you're just might definitely making it up if you're going along. But so what Grandpa and Dad would tell me is like, all right, where's the old big trout laying out there? Where's his shaving cream on the water? Where's he been shaving this morning? That's look for his shaving cream on the water, and that's where he's gonna be. Well, hey, Jonathan, welcome to Florida's Nature Coast and uh, excited to hang out with you today and be a part of the filming. Um, man, it's a beautiful day here. Out it's here. gorgeous, brother, and I appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us pre-being uh, on the water and do a little bit of podcasting and hanging out and talking. Absolutely, yeah, and um, man, uh, it's kind of a cool story, too, because uh, today you're filming with Captain Jay Carson out of uh, Perry, Florida. And Jay's become a really good friend of mine and was on the show. Um, and, man, what a cool way for all of us to come together for an awesome day on the water. So I'm looking I'm looking forward to it, and uh, I think we're going to have a great time. But uh, thanks for making some time to sit down and to be on the podcast with me. We've talked a, a few times over the years. We met two years ago. We were talking at, at ICAST. Yeah. At ICAST. And, uh, man, I'm really excited that this day's come and we've been able to sit down and record together in person. And uh, before we kind of dive into um, a little bit about what you're doing with the captain's log, I'd love just to hear first and foremost how you got connected to the outdoors. Oh, man, I tell you, I am I'm very blessed to have some incredible parents who found it very important to be outside. And my dad and my mom 
we both love to fish and my dad started taking me fishing when I was three years old you know doing the local pond hopping bass fishing bluegill and that was that was my first fish was catching a bluegill and with my dad on a little Zepco 202 I still have that combo and uh, I've been pun intended hooked ever since man it's been an absolute blast just to be outside and and we did mainly freshwater until my parents actually bought a condo in Cocoa Beach when I was a little kid when I was in elementary school Mm. so we had you know fresh water real close to us being in Orlando and then an hour away in Cocoa Beach having salt water and doing both every other weekend we either at the condo bass or saltwater fishing inshore fishing or we were bass fishing in Orlando so I was really blessed to be able to do both growing up now did, did you do sports or were you was fishing and hunting or fishing your, your primary thing that you like to do as no a I, I did play sports growing up baseball basketball and football and uh, they weren't always the number one. They weren't ever the number one priority. You know, mm-hmm. if we had a game on the weekend, obviously I would be there for Saturday for that. But if there was practice on Saturday, sorry, coach, I'm, I'm going fishing, man. You know? Yeah. And uh, it's, it's funny because I think that's just for so many people I've sat down with, you know, one of the shaping forces of their life is that time that they spent with either a mother or a father on the water for you as somebody who got into it at three what, what do you feel like what about it really really no pun intended hooked you uh, well you know when we're on the water as a little kid and you're using a cork or a bobber and you see that thing go down that's addicting you know mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you hook the fish it's taken off it's pulling line you're, you're like man this is awesome it's exciting and that thrill has never left mm-hmm. i have caught native brook trout up in the Smokies that are five inches long, the size of mullet that we would use for bait out here in the flats (laughs) and have been excited and just as excited as when we're hooking 150 pound tarpon. I just love the, the just catching fish, man. The tug is the Mm -hmm. drug for real. And that never has yet to get old. Now, did, did you ever step away from it or, or get burnt out? I mean, no, never, never. Yeah. And why do you think that is? Because I I think it's interesting that a lot of people, when they do it with their their parents or grandfather, whoever, you know, it's very easy for somebody to get maybe pushed too hard, like spend too long a time on the boat. Or did did you do you feel like there was things that your parents did to help you not get burnt out or or it was, you know, we always went and had a good time. That was what it was always about. It wasn't about. You know, let's catch the biggest fish. Let's go catch the the most incredible. It was let's go spend time together outside in nature in God's creation, mm-hmm. catching fish, and that's what we did. And if we were there for a few hours, or if we were there all day, we always spent time together. It was always a good time together. So it never got old. And even to this day, taking my own child out in the water, spending time in the water with my wife, it's it's about going and having fun. When I take clients, it's always mm-hmm. about having fun. And I think that's what's kept it fresh and exciting every single time. Yeah. I, I think, um, for me, you know, as a kid too, I, I was able just to do a lot of different types of stuff, you know, and kind of figure out like, what, what are the things that I enjoy the most, you know? And, um, for you, like w- when you look back at it, what really led you to saltwater? How did you end up, you know, kind of finding that go from, you know, fishing a pond or fishing for brook trout to, to the saltwater piece? Yeah, we, uh, we would spend a lot of weekends in Cocoa Beach. And then when we would travel, we would spend a lot of time on a coast somewhere. Sanibel Island is a very special place to me. And I remember fishing with my dad, walking the beach, throwing mirror lures 
on these laid up snook on the beach and and seeing them come up and hit that plug that just and i remember the first year we went we were using just the wrong equipment throwing push buttons epico 33s and into like a a berkeley lightning rod with a mitchell 300 with 10 pound mono and, mm. and getting spooled and getting in this like oh man pops we gotta go we gotta go to the <laughs> store and we gotta we gotta amp up our gear and so there was that progression we were always learning and getting better and buying better equipment and and not getting defeated and that those small defeats were making it all right well, let's do what we gotta do and then catching mm. these fish it just it, it never got old brother it's just always exciting i'm getting goosebumps talking about it because it's still exciting <laughs> i'm getting goosebumps because the wind's picking up yeah it's a probably little chilly out here <laughs> <laughs> probably hear that a little bit but we're sitting out of a park not too far from where we're going to put in and um you know it's it's fun because i think one of the things that you get to do as a guide is you get to be with people when they're first discovering it whether they're five years old or whether they're 18 years old for you how do you try to introduce new people to fishing Whenever I have a new angler, it's not so much about going and catching. Like for, for this last few weeks, we've been catching tons of Jack Gravel, mm-hmm. tons of ladyfish. And both of those fish have a, a negative connotation because you can't, you're not table fair. You know, people mm-hmm. aren't really eating them. But you can put someone on a school ladyfish and they're catching one every, every cast. That's an absolute blast. Mm-hmm. So when I get newbies, new anglers, not only do I get to teach them how to cast, how to work a lure, how to set the hook, but mm. then fighting the fish, watch them light up. And then from there, that progression, we go from, okay, we just caught a bunch of quote unquote trash fish. Now let's go see if we can sight fish or redfish, or mm-hmm. let's go put it in front of a speckled sea trout on, on, a, on a sandbar or an edge and catch something a little bit different. That's that's exciting for me. I love that, and I love when I, see, especially when I have little kids on the boat. When I see them light up because of the, they're catching fish one after the other, dude, mm-hmm. it's that's the best, man. It doesn't get old. Yeah, and so for you, I know at one point too, you were a high school teacher, um, or wait, where's high school? Elementary school? school. Elementary school. Yeah. Okay, so I was way off. <laughs> <laughs> but you were you were a teacher. Tell me about how did you get into teaching and then how did you make the transition into becoming a full-time guide? Yeah, so I, I went to the University of Central Florida, UCF. I got an education degree, uh, specifically mm-hmm. in PE. And my thinking was, if I can have a job that caters to my fishing habit, uh, I got out of school at 3 o'clock. You know, I had the rest of the day off, the rest of the afternoon off. I was off on the summers, was off on the holidays. Uh, being a single guy at the time, it paid all my bills, put some money in the bank, and then I had all this extra time to go fishing. Mm-hmm. So that was a big part of uh, the three reasons I was teaching June, July, and August, right? I had mm-hmm. all this time <laughs> off to go fishing. And so it was a great a great job for me. And and I, I love little kids. And I mm-hmm. love seeing them. You know, we're teaching them all these different sports, football, basketball, soccer, baseball, uh, exercise and we're making exercise fun for these kids and having that light bulb moment where the light bulb goes off when they understand the skill no matter if we're dribbling a basketball or working on soccer skills when they see that when they get that that skill and the light bulb goes off dude that's exciting mm-hmm. I loved that about being a teacher and now as a fishing guide I'm not teaching in a classroom per se but my skiff is my classroom, and I still get those light bulb moments. Mm-hmm. I still get seeing people get it when they make the right cast and if they make the right presentation. It's just like being at school. Uh, it's just a much prettier classroom, and uh, <laughs> you get to catch a fish at the end of the day. So uh, it was an easy transition for me in that sense of 
teaching a kid a skill instead of going from sports we're going to fishing Mm -hmm. and i'm going to say something very controversial here okay kids can be challenging yeah absolutely (laughs) how do you so one of the things like my, my wife has a master's in education she taught third grade for a little while and i know with kids you know it can be really challenging to get them focused or to teach them discipline or to work through the distraction what are some things that you learn from working with elementary kids that maybe could transition over to a fishing guide or a dad who's working with little kids keep them busy keep them busy and then provide rewards not and i'm not a i'm not a a fan of let's just give everyone a reward but when they accomplish something they do something good you take them fishing and then Mm -hmm. they say hey we had a great time let's go get some ice cream Mm-hmm. Man, they're going to remember that. They're going to remember that day. They remember what they caught. They're going to start putting those pieces together, and then and not be afraid of catching the ladyfish or the catfish. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not exciting. You and I would prefer to go out and sight fish redfish or or throw a tarp in and snook. Absolutely, we're not going to go chase ladyfish and catfish. But for a kid who doesn't know the difference, teach them those skills. Teach them those foundations of how to cast and catch a fish, mm-hmm. and then reward them for that. And, and don't stay out all day long. Don't stay out for eight hours when you got a five-year-old kid whose attention span is five minutes. Yeah. You know, do things to keep them busy. Do things that are going to be exciting and fun. And then reward them at the end of the, out of the trip. Don't stay out all day long. And they're going to want to continue doing it more and more. So in education, there's a terminology called scope and sequence. But mm-hmm. essentially, this is we're going to teach a kid this. Then we're going to teach a kid this. And we're going to teach a kid this. We're not going to start with multiplication, we're going to start with addition, you know, then we're going to do subtraction. That's a simplified version of it, I guess. But when you think about making somebody, helping somebody be a great outdoorsman, what's the scope and sequence that starts with a kid? What's the important things for them first to have established in their life? Well, absolutely. You, You are wanting to make sure that you are teaching them the basics, teaching them a skill that they can grasp and grasp quickly. You know, if you're handing a kid who has no fishing experience, a spinning rod or a bait caster, they're going to fail. They're going to mess up and they're Mm going to get frustrated. So giving them something that they can do and accomplish is going to be a huge first step. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you can build on those foundations, build on those skills, and they're going to be able to progress and catch the the better quality fish. One of the things I'm doing with my uh, oldest daughter, who's four, is right now, like I'll take her out sometimes because the ramp's not far from my house just for an hour. And we'll focus on almost like one thing, you know, and the, the first thing obviously for me was safety, you know, like I just need her to understand that this is serious. So when she goes out with just me, you know, from she stays in the car, I kind of have my boat ramp routine, you know, you need to stay in the car and here's how this, you know, and so for me, like the most important thing, obviously as a father is, is her safety. You know, when the boat is underway, you're, you're sitting here. You don't stand up, you don't jump up, you don't, you know, and trying to take those things really serious. And then we're also trying to work on, I had told you, you know, I mean, sometimes I'll work on just one thing. So like we'll work on fighting a fish or sometimes I'll just take her out somewhere and just let her cast. And it's just, it's terrible, a terrible cast, but it, for her, it's just cast in, doesn't matter any direction, five feet to, she's doing know, it and she's she gets doing to do it. it for, for you. Like what, when, when you're, first bringing somebody on on your boat that's a new client maybe they're young maybe they're just a new fisherman like for you when you're trying to assess where someone's at and figure out what is the next thing i need to teach this person what does that process look like for you yeah it it starts with the phone call you know if if i wait for 
to figure that out when they get on the boat, then I have already failed as a guide. Mm -hmm. I've already failed as the teacher. So it starts with a phone call and I assess their abilities through a few, through few questions, you know, tell me about your fishing experience. Are you, what kind of fishing reel do you have? How was the last time you went fishing? Mm -hmm. What are fish you've caught? Uh, those questions then will give me an answer that will lead me to, okay, what's the next question I'm going to ask? Or, okay, like the other day I had a, a father and son, they wanted to catch a tarpon, but they only knew how to use push button reels. So let's go to an area that's holding tarpon and use an, uh, a, a lure or a bait that could possibly catch a tarpon. And while we're there, let's see if we can work on our casting skills to with the spinning rod. Because if you hook a tarpon, a 20-pound tarpon with a Zepco 33, you're going to get beat. And mm -hmm. it's going to be fun to watch, but it's going to be frustrating for that client. So that's what we did. We worked on the Zepco. We caught a bunch of lady fishing jack, and it's like, okay, now let's practice the, the, the spinning reel. And they weren't young. It was mm -hmm. a dad and a 14-year-old boy. So that helps with how quickly I can move along. But that's a big part of it is knowing – your your client or whoever you're with their ability and then not pushing them too fast mm -hmm. you know spending time working on certain skills and then pushing from there is the best way to do it and, and i know some fly fishing guides who when they get on the water and i can't remember who told me this but i thought this was really smart just very casually they'll say hey just so we're on the same page can you give me a you know 25 yard shot at 11 you know, just, just 11 o'clock. So one, let's just see, do you know what 11 o'clock is? Yeah. Um, and then I'm just saying, Hey, I just want to see what you think 25 yards is or whatever. Right. Well, then they're watching the, the casting so they can know. Cause really at the end of the day, you know, somebody was telling me that they spend a lot of time up front trying to figure out what that person's range is so that they can position the boat the rest of the day, obviously within the range yeah. instead of, and, and there's a really good book by an author, Jocko Willink, uh, called extreme ownership. And yeah. he talks about, you know, when it comes to problem, to dealing with problems, you need to take on ownership instead of passing the blame. So if you say, well, my client can only cast 20 feet, extreme ownership would say, then I need to get my client 20 feet from, with the, fish. The, from the fish. And yep. if I can't do that with a certain species, then I need to convince them to go to a species that they can. Just taking that ownership yeah. route. For you, when, when you work with kids and in, in maybe, you know, you're like anybody else, you start to get frustrated or you want to you know, place the blame. They can't cast They're too young. How do you try to dial yourself back in and really try to do the absolute best you can as a guide? Well, if we can uh, keep it under the wraps, I'll text my wife and I'll say, babe, <laughs> I'm having a minute. Just pray for me. Yeah. And then she'll text me back. And then I kind of, all right, breathe. You got this. No, let's, let's figure out a solution. And you're mm -hmm. right. I had a client the other day. He's a very avid fly fisherman, but up north for trout and these guys only have to cast it 20 feet mm -hmm. they don't and then when they cast it out there they're letting the the flies being taken by the current and then they mend their line and again there he goes 20 feet and that's all they got mm -hmm. the other day that was exactly the situation he i said you know how to double haul can you show me a double haul and uh and he looked at me like what, what is that and, mm -hmm. and i knew that was gonna be a response because of the conversation we had on the phone um but again, when you are taking, like you said, you're taking ownership, you're putting your client in that position, whether it's a, a kid or an older client, mm -hmm. putting them in a position where they can use their skills, skills they already have, and catch a fish, then you can start adding on to there and being, becoming more successful. Yeah. So for you, when, when did you decide that you wanted to leave teaching and become a full-time guide? What did that process look like? Oh, man, it was, it was scary. You know, being a teacher, I had a full-time salary, benefits, health insurance, uh, retirement. 
uh, security of a consistent two week paycheck. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I just started praying about, I wasn't, I wasn't happy. Mm -hmm. I'd be, it'd be like a day like today where it's bluebird skies, it's calm winds. It's like, man, what am I doing here? Like, I, I love these kids and I love seeing them get it, but I should be fishing. So mm -hmm. I started praying about it and, uh, God said, go fishing, become a fishing guide. And, uh, I laughed, you know, I'm thinking, yeah, all right, God's telling me to go fishing. And I said, well, then I need a boat and I don't have any extra money, you know, so mm -hmm. I'm gonna need extra work. And next thing you know, I, I got asked to, to sing and play guitar at an event for a Mexican restaurant in Orlando. And then <laughs> that led to another event to led to me playing and singing 12, 15 times a month all over Orlando. And that was my extra income. I had, uh, I got some roommates and they moved in and they were paying my mortgage and my utilities. Plus I was making all the money from, from singing. And then they, they'd feed me at the restaurants where I'd play. Yeah. So I wasn't buying groceries. So God was just providing all this extra work and I was putting money away. And, and then the next part was, okay, well, I got to get a boat. Um, I got to do the research on a boat. So I was fishing with every different guide I could find with a different boat and trying different things out and landed on uh, my East Cape Fury, my skiff, and uh, put my deposit down and kept singing and playing. And when summertime hit, there was not a happier person at school. Yeah. There was not a kid happier than me to be at summer break because, I mean, <laughs> I needed a day off. I was working every single day. I would get out of church and play guitar and sing at church on Sundays and go straight to a, a taco place and play their lunch hour and come home and crash and start everything over on Monday. So that, that was the process. Got my cabin's license, got the skiff, and then I bought the boat. I was broke. Mm. I, was, I, was, I, was, I spent all my money. So I taught one more year, and that, that last year of teaching, I was guiding part-time. And the best thing about being a PE teacher and a fishing guide is when I called in sick – quote unquote sick, right? To take people fishing. I could come back to school the next day sunburnt and they never knew the difference. They thought I was just sunburnt <laughs> from being out on the PE field. Um, but that was the the transition. It, it took a couple of years yeah. of working and saving and, and having the skiff built and then beginning that, that process of building a clientele. Um, I quit teaching at the end of the year, which would have been June and, uh, started full time, met my wife right before then. So she's been along this whole journey and I remember January came and it was, I was starting to, you know, it was slow. I think I did 12 trips in six months and I'm thinking, God, what did I do? Like, I'm trusting you to provide. And here mm -hmm. we are six months in, and I've only done 12 trips. Mm -hmm. And then January hit, I did, I think I did eight trips and I was stoked. I'm like, all right, I just did a bunch of trips. And then February got a little bit better. March was doing pretty good. And I remember my wife this was before while we were still dating, we were over and we were talking about it. And I said, babe, you know, we, we need to pray about this. Mm -hmm. And because uh, if we're going to trust God to provide, then we need to ask him to provide, you know, knock and, and you shall receive. Um, and so started praying, you know, Jesus, we're going to trust you to provide these fishing trips and uh, build this business and these clientele. And while I'm praying, I hear my phone buzzing and I'm thinking, oh, you know, I, just, I need to pay attention. I need to stay focused. And uh, I'm talking to God here. I got to stay focused. And my phone mm -hmm. buzzed a few more times. We, we ended up finishing praying. I pulled up my phone and it was people calling and text messaging and emails for fishing trips, people I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And uh, since then, it's just been, you know, if I trust that Jesus is going to provide, he's going to provide. And mm -hmm. that's been the case. And uh, I said, you know what, I'll work seven days a week. I'll work whenever. And then decided, you know what, I'm going to stop working on Sundays. And mm -hmm. uh 
if I can't trust, like Chick-fil-A, if I can't trust God Monday through Saturday to provide, then one day is not going to make or break. So mm-hmm. stop working on Sundays. And then my business just got better and better and better. And I have found with anything I do that if I trust that God's going to provide, he's going to provide. And that's mm-hmm. what he's done. Wow. That's an incredible story. I think too, there's just so many people who are probably in a similar season of life hearing that. And they're probably thinking, man, I, I'm, you know, either I'm about to take a leap or I'm in the middle of the leap, or uh, maybe they're just being retrospective and their foot just hit the ground on the other side and they're just processing what happened. What advice would you give to people, you know, who are in this season of, you know, maybe they're at a job they don't love um, or they like what what advice do you give someone who's thinking about making a leap like that? Well, definitely make the pros and cons, figure out what you want to do and what it's going to take to get there. And then don't be afraid to work. Mm-hmm. And if you feel like God's telling you to do something, do it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm reminded of Jonah and the whale. You know, mm-hmm. Jonah's told to go do something. He didn't do it. And what happened? He got swallowed by a whale. He got swallowed by a big fish. So when God's telling you to do something, man, you got to go after it. And it mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. You know, it, it wasn't. Like I said, it was 12 trips in six months. It wasn't yeah. easy. That was scary. But when you are doing what you're called to do, um, it's going to work out. And, you know, I think when you're talking about this season two of life where you're going from teaching to singing at different restaurants to, you know, all the odds and ends, being resourceful and having roommates and, you know, all that. Um, I think about like just a season of absolute grit and, and w- what lessons did you learn in that season instead of just trying to, cause some people just try to get through the season, you know, I just got to get through, I just got to push through. What did you learn in all of that? Well, when you are pushing for something, when you're working your tail off or something, it just, it just feels so much better. When you finally get there, you've accomplished it. It just feels so much better. It tastes better. Mm-hmm. And so lower your shoulders, keep pushing, keep driving, and eventually you will get there. And you're going to have roadblocks along the way, but when you get there, you can reflect and you can think about, man, look what we've accomplished. Look mm-hmm. what we've done. And it feels good. All those all those roadblocks, all those, those distractions are going to help you just get stronger and better and refine you. You know, iron sharpens iron. Sometimes you got to go through the fire to get to that final result, that final mm-hmm. product. I even think with, with my, with my girls, you know, as a parent, you want to give your kids these great lives, but at the same time, you want to teach them the problem solve and you want them to learn work ethic. And, you know, sometimes you let them make a mistake or you let them do something the hard way, um, because you believe it's going to help shape them, you know, iron sharpens iron, that old proverb. Um, you know, when people don't have to go through that season, maybe somebody's just given a boat and just given, just everything's just given to them. There's no you know, there's no iron sharpening. What do you feel like they miss out? Well, I've been very blessed my whole life. I've never gone without in the sense that if I needed something, my parents were there and provided. But at the same time, it it was always you had to work for it. You Mm -hmm. know, and when you work for something, it it just, like I said, it, it tastes good. It feels good. And for someone who is just given something that's, man, congrats. That's awesome. That's a huge blessing. And don't get conceited. Don't get arrogant about that because someone else had to work hard for that. Mm. Regardless if you did or not, someone had to work hard for that. So uh, stay humble and stay hungry. Mm. That's, that's great advice. Now, you know, transitioning even, okay, so you make that first leap into being a fishing guide. And then now you've made this leap into this television show. This whole new world. The whole new world, <laughs> Captain's Log. And we were talking about it at lunch together because – 
it's an interesting world because so many people like from the like just from a outside standpoint they they know tv shows but very few people have actually been a part of tv right. shows yep. you know so there's millions of people who have seen them and they think they know something about them and there's a dozen people they could all fit in the small restaurant we were in today that actually have been a part of yeah. them tell me about that leap and that transition well again it's it's another god story but being a a fishing guide was a dream and then having a fishing show was a dream my dad would always joke and say uh, one more cast with jonathan moss i was like no pops that's shaw grisby's show man yeah. um so we always joked about it um but to see that like you, you said it, there's a, a dozen people who have actually done it mm-hmm. and so to be going after that dream was crazy i, I remember i was I was in church. I wasn't paying attention to what the pastor was preaching. I was thinking, God, I really want to pursue doing film. I really want to pursue this fishing show. And what really, you know, the real bug I caught was in 2012, which was a while ago. Um, it's down in the Keys. We were in, we were in uh, Marathon. I was down with some, some friends, and it was our first night there, and we went to the Vaca Cut. And Vaca Cut is... It's a connection. It's a big canal that goes from the Gulf side to the Atlantic side. Mm-hmm. And current runs through there. And we are we got the right tide. We were there that night. And tarpon were rolling like crazy. And uh, we're throwing. We're, we're jumping tarpon. It, I mean, we're having a blast. My buddy's got a brand new iPhone. I still had a flip phone at the time. And he pulls out his iPhone. And he's filming. The other buddy's got a GoPro. They, literally, the GoPro one. <laughs> I don't even think it had the number yet, but yeah. we're filming, and we got all that footage, and I said, you know, we need we need to do this. We need to create a place for people to watch videos, create videos, do a, a podcast, do, uh, I don't even know if podcasts were even thinking back then, but do mm-hmm. a blog, that was what it was, and write these stories, do video and photos, and that was where kind of the big push started. Um, but that whole time though, I was teaching, I wasn't mm. even, th- I didn't even have a skiff yet at that point yet. And then we get into a couple of years ago, really still, it's still, you know, in the back of my brain going, God, you know, I can hear you saying, go after this, but I don't know what it looks like. And I remember I'm at church, I'm not paying attention and I'm praying about like, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? And then at the end of the service, I looked to my right and there's a guy standing there. And I said, uh, I introduced myself to him. He said, Hey man, I've been wanting to talk to you. Um, I hear you're a fishing guide. And I was like, yeah. He goes, well, I do, I do video. You ever thought about filming a TV show? And I was like, <laughs> have I ever thought about it? Like, that's all I've been thinking about, like hardcore for the last six months. And mm-hmm. so we, we got together and we started talking through it and uh, came up with the name Captain's Log. And the whole idea was, let's bring these pages of the Captain's Log to life. You know, I get home and I, I think about my day. And I write down what we used, where we went, the temperature, the wind. Because then you start, as you're more and more, I'm on the water 250 days a year. These fish have a pattern. They do the same thing every year. So if you can remember where you were at a certain time, uh, a certain time of year, in certain places and what you were using, the patterns are very, very similar. Mm-hmm. So you, you take these, these captain's notes, these, this captain's log, and we're bringing it to film. And that was the whole idea with that. Uh, but fast forward, it was, I mean, it was a year and a half and we had filmed four or five episodes and, and his business had taken off. He filmed, um, for weddings and, and super talented, but timing just wasn't right. And so we had to 
kind of move our separate ways. And that's when I was introduced to Jack, who's our main photographer, our main videographer and uh, editor for the show. And Jack's young. My team's young. My crew's young. Our guys are as young as 20 and as old as, as 25. And so, um, to be able to get paired up with him and say, all right, here's the vision, here's the goal, but we don't have any idea how to make a TV show. Yeah. So it was, uh, it's been a lot, man. It's been, uh, you know, you can't go to Barnes and Noble and buy how to make a fishing TV show for dummies. They just don't have that book. It doesn't exist. Um, but that was the whole process. Get the team together. And we started just doing it and figuring it out mm. and, um, just praying that God would again, continue to open the doors. And I remember the first day, the first day that we were filming, um, our first ever shoot, the first episode of season one, everything that could have gone wrong was going wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I woke up that morning and, uh, I went to Wawa to buy subs for everybody, get sandwiches for the boat and everyone can have lunch. And my credit card's not working. Someone had stolen my credit card number and my credit card was canceled and I don't have any cash. And I only had that one credit card. My wife, she had, we had just had a baby who was less than a month old and it was like four in the morning. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't call her to come bail me out. So I texted my dad and he was awake and he came at me at the gas station, bought my gas, bought the, uh, the subs. And I had to convince him to give me some cash or his card started driving to the coast tried calling jack jack wouldn't answer his phone and just going straight to voicemail i'm like oh man something's not right something's not right so i get a hold of his roommate who's out of town anyways long story short i i call who we're fishing with adam and i said buddy i don't know what i don't know if this is going to happen today but i'm almost i'm almost to crystal river let's go fishing anyways and i remember stopping at a gas station to pick up um some extra snacks and drinks and a bag of ice and I'm, I'm looking at my direction to leave the place and I'm praying, God, what do you want me to do? Are we doing this? Like, if this is what you want to do, open the door. If not, close the door shut. And I turn, I listen to my GPS says, make a left, make a left now on follow your dreams parkway. And I was like, <laughs> what is the name of the road? It was literally follow your dreams parkway. And I'm, I'm praying like, God, I need a sign, I need a sign. And the next thing you know, I'm turning on to follow your dreams parkway. Mm. So I kind of took that as a sign and, and it's like, all right, well, we're going to do this until you shut the door. Mm-hmm. And everything I've done in my life, it's been, God, I'm going to trust you until you shut the door. And when the next door opens, we're going to walk through it. Mm-hmm. So here we are. on a, We're filming the last episode of season two, episode 10 of season two. We're filming that here in a little bit. And mm-hmm. it's just crazy to see the progression. We still don't know what we're doing. Yeah. But, you know, we're having fun doing it. <laughs> well, the, I, th- I think, uh, you know, I was when I first started the podcast and I got to be around just some people I really respected who were involved in the industry. You know, I was so excited to hear about all these inside secrets to success. And then I started realizing, you know, a lot of people don't know what they're doing. Yeah. But they, <laughs> but they have a lot of fun. Yeah. And they love what they do. And it, it works out in the end. You know, it's interesting um, because you know, you you talked about just kind of in life, trying to see an open door, having the courage to walk through that open door. Um, and, and I'm a, a Christian as well, you know, and I heard somebody talk to that they were talking about, you know, when it comes to our worship of God, sometimes you have to learn how to worship God in the hallway. And the idea of that was, Hey, you know, so sometimes we have doors in life that we want to open and they don't they don't yeah. open. And then, you know, motivational speakers say, kick the door down, you know? <laughs> um, and, but I think too, just in life too, like trying to come to that place where there's something I really want to do, 
but coming to the place where you say, even if it doesn't happen, that's okay. Yeah. And it sounds like you've been at that place a few times. Yeah. To somebody listening to this, you know, a lot of people, they're going to have, they're going to have things that they want to happen and they're not going to happen as quick, or maybe they won't happen at all. What advice do you give to people too, when they're in that moment where, where they're in a hallway for lack of a better phrase? Yeah. Well, well, keep trusting, keep trusting, you know? And if, if, if it's, there's that Bible verse and I'm going to forget where, what, what the reference is, but, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, uh, for I know the plans I have for you, plans mm-hmm. to prosper you, plans to help you grow, um, a plan in a future. Mm-hmm. And so I keep thinking about that. And I have, I used to want to be a country music singer. That never happened, right? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. No, I don't, I don't, I have any desire, I don't have any desire to pursue Is that what that you anymore. were singing when you were singing at Mexican restaurants? Dude, we played Because I pictured, I, I just, I guess I assumed that you were doing like traditional you know, Hispanic music. No, 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 no. It wasn't just Mexican places. It was, okay. man, we played steakhouses, burger shops, bro, ice <laughs> I was cream parlors. You, yeah, I was picturing you like in the full, like authentic attire no, and everything. That, that's not me, man. <laughs> 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 Had my sombrero on, my chips and salsa. <laughs> no, we, um, we did a little bit of everything, rock and country, but, but I go back to what we were, we we're saying and it's, when you are pursuing and you are going after something, even if it's tough, even if it's difficult, continue to trust because, like I said before, that's when it's going to make it worth it. That's mm-hmm. when. And and I, dude, I don't want something easy. You know, there's this fishing show thing's not been easy. We've the furthest trips we've made, Key West and Louisiana, we had to travel to twice. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had days where, like today, we're filmed today. This is the fourth time that we've had this schedule to film with Jay. Because mm-hmm. things come up, you're going to get bad weather, you're going to get roadblocks, but it's how you respond to it in life that's going to, that that attitude is going to lead you into the next direction. Well, what's that attitude like? Give us a breakdown of what that type of perseverant type attitude is. It's just, just rolling with punches. Okay, well, this isn't, this isn't the door. This isn't the, the avenue. We're gonna, this, is, this is the hallway I'm in and this door is shut. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to keep going until I find the next one, until I find the door that's open. You know, I just had a buddy who was uh, – in fact, he was a big push on this show on, Jonathan, go do it. Because he and I had a lot of uh, conversations where I was just unloading just frustration. Because mm-hmm. it's not – no matter what you do, it's not always – at least it hasn't been for me. It's not always easy. There's always been work involved. And uh, he, he was on the flip side of that, how he hated his job. He was just – not wanting to go to work anymore because he hated where he was at. And I said, man, just keep trusting, keep praying. Let's, we'll figure this out together. And then opportunity came up and, uh, I said, Hey, send your email, send your resume to this email and, and see if you can get a job there. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, he got it. And again, it's just about pushing through. And if you don't like where you're at in the season you're at, keep pushing, keep staying there until you figure out that next step. And once you find that next step, then do it, go mm-hmm. for it. You know, because you can only complain and talk about it so much, but nothing happens until you take that next step. There's a, a Walt Disney quote. He says, you know, you can talk and talk and talk and, and you come up with these crazy dreams, but nothing happens until you start working, until mm. you start taking those steps towards accomplishing those goals. And that's, dude, that's fun. That's exciting. It's scary, mm. but it's fun and it's exciting when you take start taking steps. Yeah, and it's very evident to me that you, you love – doing this. And I think that for me with the podcast, that was, I started this podcast for myself. And if nobody else enjoyed it other than me, that was enough for me. Um, and you know, 
I, I think that that's, there's something about a lot of people across all sorts of industries that are successful that they're doing it because they have to do it. They, yeah. they feel like they're doing it because they can't wake up tomorrow having not done it. And, they're, and if other people acknowledge it, if other people like it, then that's added bonus. But, you know, you see a lot of driven people from our cultures obsessed with figures like Steve Jobs, you know, who was obviously motivated by something greater than money, you know, just really wanted to make the best product he could and be the best and have the best. And, you know, I, I think that that's it's to me, it's really fun traveling and being around people who I can just tell that they're doing it because this is truly what they want to do. They're not just trying to be famous. They're not just trying to make money. They're not just bored they really love doing it and it's very obvious to me that that you love being a part of a fishing show and well i'm not famous and i'm not <laughs> making any money you know uh, i could be guiding today but instead yeah. I'm, I'm going fishing but when you see me hook a fish on on the show that excitement you see is real mm -hmm. because like i said i'm on the water 250 days a year the question i get asked the most when i'm on the water from clients is do you ever get a day to go fishing and it's answer is always no, I don't have time anymore. You know, so when when we're filming, it's hey, I get a I get an opportunity to go fishing. Now the pressure's on because yeah. there's a camera following. Yeah. There's through three cameras watching what we're doing, but um, I get to go fishing. Mm -hmm. And when you see me mess up, and I do mess up a lot, there's plenty of that we cut out because I mess up all the time because I'm not perfect. Um, but there is frustration on there, and there is real excitement. There is real passion because mm -hmm. I love it. We all, I guarantee you, everyone who's listening to your podcast loves fishing. And mm -hmm. is passionate about it and there's just like there's just something about it that's what keeps putting us back there absolutely and that that transitions really well into my list of rapid fire questions that are all kind of revolving around angling for you with the tv show and the added pressure of the camera which i was a guest on benny blanco's show last year and i can speak in front of hundreds of people i can do a podcast it doesn't bother me at all but man, that was some serious pressure being on the bow of the boat <laughs> and having a camera boat behind you. And I was blowing it, man. Yeah. And I felt that pressure. I was like, wow, talk to me. How has the pressure of the TV show made you just a better angler in general? Well, I always tell, and in fact, Jay can tell you this. I told him last night when we talked on the phone, I tell everyone I fish with, no pressure. Fishing's fishing. And we could get there and we could have... Uh, a zero day and we've had that we've had a couple of trips where we didn't catch anything it happens um, but I don't ever want to put pressure on the people I'm with because I've been that person for other shows where I was a guest on and I didn't sleep for days knowing okay I gotta I gotta find these fish here I gotta have the pattern right I gotta be at this spot at this time and they gotta catch the fish at this spot and I don't ever want whoever I'm fishing with to have that mm -hmm. feeling so we're here to go have fun but yes when the camera's on you you're, there's pressure there and it makes you want to make the right cast. It forces, it kind of puts you in that zone. Like, dude, this is fourth quarter, and we're we're driving to the end zone, and we got to get this done. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you drop the ball and you miss the shot or whatever, you're everyone's going to see, and you're going to fail. And I don't want to do that. I want to be. I want to mess up too bad on TV. <laughs> but there's been days where, uh, like for our our last episode, we were filming in uh, in Louisiana, and there's fish floating everywhere. Now we asked Max. You know, what's today on a scale of 1 to 10? He said today's a 3, which blew my mind because we had so many shots of fish. But I blew a ton of fish, especially with the fly rod. And that just forces you to say, okay, when I get home, I'm going to practice even more. I'm going to get that shot down so the next time I'm there, next time that opportunity presents itself, 
order to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes you, if you blow a shot, you just laugh at yourself and get a good blooper reel, and then you move on, man. That's all you can do. Just have fun and laugh about it and move on. If you're not laughing at yourself, you're never going to get better, and you're, gonna, you're never going to make it anything you do. One of the things I know for me is when I travel around and fish with different guides, I'm always learning just the whole time from how they manage the boat to how they cast to just how they're thinking about fish. For you, look, what's been the most helpful piece growing as a captain, fishing with other captains like Jay and others from your TV show? Oh, absolutely. You are, I'm always picking up new tips, new ideas on how to catch fish. There might be a technique that's really popular in Louisiana or here in the panhandle that I haven't done at home that I can pick up and try clients. So that's that. I love that. When you're in a room with people who do the same thing you do, everyone's going to do it differently. And if you can talk through that, you're going to learn techniques and ideas and ways to communicate, ways to uh, uh, to cast or, or, or things to use or a certain lure. You're going to pick those things up by fishing with people. You're always going to get better by being with people who are better than you. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was a kid and, and I would go to Sam Ash Guitar Center or whatever place was called and music store. My dad would say, go, go sit down with one of these guys. It's, that's really good. And you're going to learn. Just watch. Even if you're just watching, you're going to see them do stuff. And he's right. When you surround yourself with people who are better than you, you're going to get better. And you're going to learn new things. And that's how it's been. We were fishing down in Key West with Nick Labatee. We fished in, with Max McKinley in Louisiana. And everywhere in between, we're always doing – we always have one goal, and that's catch fish. But we're doing things a little bit differently. And these are all tips and, and different techniques that you can use no matter where you are in the, in the southeast, no matter where you are in the state of Florida. You can pick something up and use those techniques in your region, in your zone. And I do the same thing on the water with my clients. Mm-hmm. Is there any that stand out to you from over, over the years that you share? I mean, just something that you felt like was a common thread across all those captains that you brought back home with you? Well, one one fun thing we did with Buddy Kirkhart down in Stewart, we uh, we did the double rig with the Terror Eyes, mm-hmm. and we were catching. Uh, now, that particular day, we would not catch two at one time. We had one hook up a couple times. But when we get into real thick groups of sea trout, we'll put two plastics on the same line, mm-hmm. and you get a client to cast two lures at the same time. They think you're crazy, and then they catch two, and they think this is the coolest thing ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, same way with our, with our bass fishing. And watching these these bass on the lake blowing up on these shad that are like three inches long, and they're going bananas, and they look like a school of jacks. And so it reminds me, I mean, I remember we were fishing uh, in this in, w- with Max, and we had a school of jacks come in, and we were throwing top of our plugs, and they were going bananas for them. Man, this is so similar. I'm going to do the same thing. Let me tie a topwater plug on here for my client. Throw it out there, boom, boom, boom. Next thing you know, we're catching two bass at the same time. So it's definitely things that have, have happened on shoots and, and around the, the south uh, southeast that we've been fishing, that we can take those those same experiences and say, "Damn, this is so similar. I'm going to do mm-hmm. it here," and it works. You know, you're talking about at lunch the sandbar and the fish in Tampa Bay coming over to that sandbar, mm-hmm. and I I know areas in my my zone in my region where we have sandbars and we have uh, not such a so much a tie where they're having to go over it, but the same sandbar where the fish are coming up on that sandbar and then following the bait over to the other side and, and following bait and catching uh, and casting to them and catching them that way. It's a lot of fun. And, and you're absolutely right when there's so many things that you can do in my re- region that you can do all over the state of Florida. 
No, I, I, I couldn't agree more. For you, when you're looking for a captain, what are you looking for? Like when you're trying to figure out who you're going to fish with, what's going through your mind there? Fun. Mm-hmm. Who's someone we have fun with? You mm-hmm. know, a lot of the people I've, I've already, uh, I've already had a relationship with. And then I, the other side is, you know, are they not only are they fun, but are they fishy? Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest part, you know. And and I try, I try to pick guys or, and and captains who are just passionate about it and are having a good time. You know, it comes across on film when you're not having fun. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's been a big part. Can we go and have a good time, have mm-hmm. fun. And I have noticed that when we're, when we watched the finished episode, because we had such a fun time and a good time, the episodes fly by just like yeah. that. And that's what I want. I want people to watch the show and go, Wow, it's over already. How long was that episode? Oh, it was twenty-two minutes, just like the rest of them. Man, that that was fast. Yeah, it's because we're having fun, and that's what I'm. That's our main thing. Let's go have fun. So you you had mentioned earlier that you, you have a captain's log, an actual captain's log, which I wanted to ask you about because I didn't know is this just a name of a TV show or do you actually have a log? I started um, logging everything that I do outdoors, and I I bought a journal because I wanted the aesthetic of you know, or I wanted the experience of having some analog and writing in it and sketching in it. I'm like a poor man's Paul Puckett, you know? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, my sketches are like, what is that? Is that a tarpon or a turkey? I'm not sure. Um, but, um, you know, and for me, there's something too about, you know, there's been tons of research about if you write stuff down, you, you retain it better. You know, I'm sure that in your days of education, you probably picked up on some of those learning mechanisms. Tell me about. Tell me a little bit more about your log. How do you use it? What do you record? What are some tips if people want to start getting serious and logging their outdoor experiences? Well, the weakest ink is still stronger than the best memory. Mm-hmm. And so having something written down, you know, you, the, when you're learning in school, if you if you're using more of your senses, you know, you're you're seeing it written down, you're, you're writing it down, you're thinking mm-hmm. about it, and then you read it out loud, now you're hearing it, you're processing, you're going to learn stuff faster and remember stuff faster. So having a journal and writing stuff down, having a reference that you can go and go back and say, okay, on June 5th last year, I was here catching the, these fish using this lure, and this is what the, the weather was. Okay, so now coming up on June 5th here in a couple, in about six weeks, like, okay, what can I look for? What can I expect? Mm-hmm. And then my phone is my other side of that with pictures. You know, I can see that photo with that client holding that fish and I can remember. And then I can reference back to where I was and to the captain's log, my journal back home. So having that definitely helps. You know, and, and fishing guides are interesting people. They don't, some of them really will be open. They're an open book. They'll tell you anything you want to know. What mm-hmm. we were, where we were using, how we were catching them. And then there's some that won't, dude, they're not telling you nothing. You go up there and figure it out yourself. Mm-hmm. So when you have that own, your own captain's notes, your own captain's log, your, your, your book that you can go back and reference, you're not going to forget these things. You can start remembering and you can reference it to learn more from yourself. And that's just going to help you get better and better and better. And as the, the longer you do it, the longer you're on the water, the more notes you have, you're going to start seeing patterns. You're going to start figuring things out a whole lot quicker, and it's going to just help you be, become more successful while you're out there. Yeah, and, and I found whenever I started doing it that it would force me to go back and actually analyze some of the decisions I made that day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think that's that's one of the things that, 
you know, journaling forces you to slow down and actually think through your day versus going out and running around doing a bunch of stuff. And then maybe you had a good day, maybe you had a bad day. And then you just go to bed and you just wake up and you just didn't really slow down to actually think about, okay, w- what, what about today worked? What, what should have I done differently? You know, actually evaluate yourself a little bit and, and realize, you know, like the other day we, um, I was fishing with a guide out of our areas, uh, named, uh, Spencer Watson. And we pulled up to an area and we, I, I hopped on the pulling platform and we looked down at the water and we were there for about three minutes and we were like, this water's not clean enough. And so we decided to go make a 15 minute run to another spot. And then we ended up catching fish at the other spot. And in retrospect, looking back at it, it's like, okay, that was a good decision yeah. because we were somewhere where we didn't have clear water and we didn't know, should we just maybe something will tail or whatever, or should we go run to clear water? And then, you know, for every one decision that you look back on and you go, that was a good decision. I need to remember that next time yeah. when, when fishing, you have 10 decisions that you shouldn't have made, you know, I stayed on this thing too long or, I, you know, what, fill in the blank. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's a great piece of advice too. I've seen that play out well in my life. And a lot of the captains I've interviewed over the years have some form of log, um, if everything from, um, I know David Mangum had a, a journal that he wrote in and he even, uh, had a photo of that in the Yeti Tarpon book. Um, and to people who have really sophisticated, um, calendar systems where they log notes in their calendar system and have it repeat and things that, so yeah, I think that's super helpful for, for you. What, who's been the most influential person in your life when it comes to, to you as a guide? Oh, as a guide. I tell I've, I've been blessed to have, um, a lot of people to fish with, but I'm, I'm going to have to go old school and go, go with my dad, you mm-hmm. know, cause if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't do any of this. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't for either of my parents, I wouldn't do any of this, mm-hmm. you know, um, super blessed and fortunate to have family, my wife included, who's, you know, we've been married or coming up on uh, four years who has always been there to support me. You know, that's, that's huge for me more than when I first started, I was the new guy. I was low man on the totem pole. And I had fishing guides coming to me. You're never going to make it. You're going to fail. You live in Orlando. You're never going to afford driving back and forth. But I always had people, my parents and my wife to support me. And that's been the biggest help as a fishing guide. Mm. They might not have, you know, my fishing knowledge has, uh, has far surpassed their fishing knowledge, but their support, nothing will ever compete with that. Mm. And these other fishing guides in my area who I've spent a lot of time fishing with and I've become really good friends with a lot of them, none of them will ever support me and, and push me to be better and better than my core support, my family. So mm. I'm going to go with, I'm gonna go with my family on that one. Uh, that's a good good answer can't go wrong there my, my last question is if you could go back and talk to yourself let's just kind of create a scene here where you know you're you're leaving school you know and you're dreaming it's one of those perfect days there's there's no wind blue skies unlike the wind right now <laughs> um and you're walking out and you're thinking man should i do this what advice do you give yourself oh man well, you know, I, I think about the amount of time and money I spent to get an education. And 
I went through all that and taught for seven years and it's like you know it, like I said I wanted to be somewhere else I teaching changed um, but I still had to go through all that all those experiences led me to where I am today mm-hmm. uh, so I might tell myself to hold on keep pushing keep driving um, but don't miss the moment that you're in because every one of those experiences shaped me to do something else every one of those experiences I speak as a child I spoke I'm sorry as a teacher I spoke in front of kids all day long you're thinking oh yeah they're kids you know kids pay attention kids Mm -hmm. know when you mess up kids know when you say something that doesn't sound right so it taught me to really be focused on what I was saying really be focused on what I was doing that experience then took me to on the boat or in the same side with that was when you're when you're teaching kids on how to do something, you have to really dumb it down sometimes mm-hmm. to explain it. Like if I'm explaining to you how to do something, yeah, dumb gonna, it down. Yeah, you, well, no, you're <laughs> you're gonna pick it up really fast. <laughs> you're the super smart guy, but with the kids, sometimes you got to break it down and, mm-hmm. and that way give it to them in a way that they can understand. Same thing. I learned that, and I use that out on the boat. Yeah. Um, so just keep pushing. I would tell myself keep pushing. Well, man, I, I am excited to uh, go ahead and head down to the ramp and enjoy this time on the water with you and your crew. Uh, man, thanks so much for just carving out some time today to have lunch with me and to, and to join the podcast. Man, I really appreciate your support along the way and how you've continued to encourage me, and I'm excited for today. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm, dude, I'm geeking out over here. I've, I've listened to the Captain's Collective podcast for a while, and to just be on this side of the microphone, it's, it's been a humbling and an honoring. Uh, it's just been an honor to be able to do it. Well, thank you, John. I appreciate it, man. Thanks again for listening to The Captain's Collective. Please help us out by leaving a review on iTunes and sharing this podcast. We hope that you enjoy. This is The Captain's Collective.